We did get pulled over in, in uh, Wyoming of all things, uh, by, uh, this, we saw a cop on the other side of the road and the roads were divided by big, you know, stretches. Right. And we saw a cop and he was coming for us. So we decided we were going to hammer the gas and we were going to beat this cop. <laughs> and we pulled under a bridge and decided we were changing drivers. If that wasn't us. And he pulled right up behind us and, and, uh, and basically said, if you tell me how fast you were going, when you hit that off ramp, I will let you go. But if you, <laughs> <laughs> and now we told him, yeah, we were 159 miles an hour when we lifted off the gas. And he was like, damn, dude. You're listening to the one and only Real 45 Podcast. We talk about life, racing, and getting sideways. Hey, every day is a new day. How hard can it be? And now your hosts are in the building, Greg Hancock and Stephen Junell. Welcome back to the Real 45 Podcast. It's been a few weeks here since we busted out our last one, but we're stoked to be back. I'm Greg Hancock with my partner in crime, as I always call him, but crime is not for us. How you doing, Stephen? No. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm weathering well here in Southern California. These winters are rough. Oh, <laughs> I um, can't say the same, but we don't have any snow. That's rough. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's getting lighter though, right? So it's going the right way now. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it. That's cool. You miss me? I do, man. Okay. I love you, buddy. I really miss you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> well, What's going on? How well, are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm really good, and um, it's yeah, long long overdue for another podcast here. So, while we're talking about love, we're going to share the love. One of my good buddies, uh, pretty stoked to have him joining us on this one. Obviously, I've talked talked about him or with you uh, yeah. a little bit, and we've kind of discussed a little bit about this podcast too. But this is a like he's a long time friend of mine. We've known each other since we were kids an extreme wealth of knowledge all around, especially in the motorsport world. This guy's got a, a, an amazing business card and his history is, is incredible. So, and besides that, it's pretty hard to find somebody that's, that's more positive and a real go-getter. There's just like never give up, do your, do your due diligence, do your work and um, just, you know, press on, man, go for it. So for that reason, I want to welcome my longtime friend and, and good buddy, Cameron Evans. Cameron, welcome. Hi, guys. It's an honor to be on your podcast. And, uh, uh, Greg, I think uh, you pointed it back at me, but you are the single most positive person that I know. And most of my friends say that. So don't push that back at me. I, 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 I get to be a negative Nelly every once in a while. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Well, uh, Stefan is one of those kind of guys, too. He's extremely positive. So that's, you know, while we're just pointing the fingers, let's just keep pointing them. <laughs> <laughs> You're sweet, guys. Well. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have one big question for you, Cameron. Are you going to start off Could with we a just question? Going to st- yeah, I, I just need to know one thing because... Greg told me so much about you and uh, all these rad, cool things you've done in your life. So 
first question what's the most cool or crazy thing you ever done mm. oh my god well you know i it, i think it depends on different times in your life there's different scales of crazy things. I was never a courage guy, which Greg could tell you, he was probably coming off the 30 yard line in handicap racing and speedway. And I was probably coming <laughs> off the 20. So Greg found out really quickly that I wasn't necessarily a guy that was full of courage. But, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, even though I loved car racing and I, and the whole motorsport thing was just kind of cultured into our lives, the speedway thing was a really big deal to me. And I'll, I'll never forget the very first day, uh, jumping on a little junior speedway bike, you know, 250 cc's, no brakes, alcohol, just like a, just like a big speedway bike, and uh, on a on a little ranch that we used to live on, you know, bump starting this thing and ripping down a country road with no no idea how it was going to stop. I didn't understand compression. I didn't understand any of that. But to me, early on, just uh, being a kid who nece- wasn't necessarily full of courage, I wasn't a great, I mean, I was decent on motorcycle and I could ride the motocross bike and all that. But I think, uh, you know, trying to get on and run at the same level as Greg Hancock and Ronnie Corey and some of the kids that were really going fast at the time. For me, that was probably the 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 craziest thing that I did at the time later in life, you know, you know, you push on 15, 20 years later, uh, racing in the, in the cannonball, the one lap of America, which back in the t- back at that time was really difficult. It was a race still goes on today, except it's a lot smaller. It was about 10,000 miles in eight days, 12 different racetracks, like a rally, like a time, speed and distance rally, but it was complete BS. There was no way you were going to be able to get from this place to that place, from Long Beach to Idaho, from Idaho to Minnesota in the amount of time they gave you. So basically you just had to speed like the real cannibal. They, you know, wow. they made it a legal version wow. of a cannibal run, but yeah. When, but, and when I did it, I did it with uh, a friend that Greg and I had for many years named Trinan Cirillo. And I hadn't graduated college and he hadn't graduated high school. And somehow we finagled our way into a factory Toyota sponsored this little Celica. And it was just, it was just the two of us. And we took off. I was the one that had a racing license. So he did a lot of the longer road legs and I did most of the races, but we drove thousands and thousands of miles in a day, uh, from track to track. And when you showed up, if you're, we were car number 22 and you were due to be there at, at two o'clock or two twenty-two was when you'd race. You had to be ready to race, and uh, so to do some of those things, what I was trying to figure out how to pay for being a race driver when I was young, uh, it, that was that was probably the craziest thing because behind the scenes, people had no idea how dangerous that was. Driving, you know, one hundred and thirty miles an hour, you know, over long, long distances on public highways. It's it's not necessarily something I'm proud of, but it's definitely something we did. And you never went over the speed limit. <laughs> no, never once. Never once. We did get we did get pulled over in in uh, Wyoming, of all things, uh, by uh, this. We saw a cop on the other side of the road, and the roads were divided by big, you know, stretches, right? And we saw what a cop, and he was coming for us. One? So we decided we were going to hammer the gas, and we were going to beat this Be honest. Cop. And we pulled <laughs> yeah. under a bridge and decided we were changing drivers if that wasn't us. And he pulled right up behind us and and uh, and basically said, "If you tell me how fast you were going, going when you hit that off I'll let you go. I will let you go." But if and. And we told him, yeah, we were 159 miles an hour when we lifted off the gas. And he was like, damn, dude. 
That's crazy. And then he says, I'm going to give you 95 miles an hour from here to the border of Wyoming. That's all you get. And these cars had decals and things all over them. I mean, they weren't, they were like little race cars that were street legal. So it was uh, like, you know, that, that your heart beating like, man, I haven't even graduated college yet and I'm going to jail. And, but, uh, but we learned a lot and there's a lot of, of uh, the, in some of the racing that we do now, there's a lot of uh, skills that I picked up from back in those days. <laughs> what skill did you pick up from that one? Oh, don't, oh yeah, exactly. Be Tell honest. the truth. Tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If somebody asks you a question, you're probably better off just answering it. So, Can um, you imagine the other cop just saying, if you can tell me how fast you're going when you hit that off ramp, I'll let you go. You're like, oh, man. Yeah, that was about, <laughs> that was about 1989 or 1990. We did another one the next year, and we were a lot more competitive, and we had a, uh, a faster car. and. And, uh, we, we, we won some stages and, and it was, it was really a thrill. Uh, but it was hard back then because you was, you know, we wanted so badly as kids, even when we were, when Greg and I were racing motorcycles together, a lot of us wanted to race cars later on. We weren't as good as Greg was on the motorcycle. So we knew that going to England or going racing wasn't going to probably be where we would make any money or continue doing this. But, you know, with age comes a cage. And, and <laughs> so for a lot of us, you know, that especially if we didn't have any money or, you know, weren't really born into those kind of families that could support that we were, uh, we did anything we could to try to get whatever races you could. So when someone said that you were allowed to do it, man, we were in. Oh my, I, you know what? He's really putting me on a pedestal here now, Stefan, all this stuff he's saying about me, but, yeah. and he listen to what yeah. he just did. Right. Have you ever heard of this cannonball or this one lap of America before? The cannonball I've heard about, yes. I mean, everything he just described, right? You just go, the distance that they had to go, they had to basically, yeah, disobey all the laws and and everything. But, hey, Cameron, so I mean, these guys, I mean, all these police, they know you guys are coming, right? Yeah, they pretty well knew we were coming. It was publicized that, you know, that this thing would be going on. And, I mean, when you think about it, we started at the Long Beach Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. We went to Sonoma, to Sears Point, you know, Sonoma Raceway. We went up to – this is – and I might be mixing up some of the laps because over two years they changed it around a little bit. But we did a rally up in the very tippy-top of Idaho, uh-huh. cut across the – I think we went down to Salt Lake City. We cut up to Michigan. We went over to, uh, to New York City. We went uh, down to Atlanta. We went all the way as far as Sebring and raced it. We raced at tracks at all these places. We oh went down to, Se- to Sebring, Florida. We went up to the to the Oval in Atlanta after having done Road Atlanta, the famous racetrack. Then we went over to, I want to say, oh uh, Houston Raceway Park. We went up and did Pikes Peak, did the full hill climb, and then did like a race in Las Vegas, and then went back and we finished – on Saturday, the Long Beach Grand Prix, and we made it on time. It was, uh, uh, and I got the chicken pox for the second time. It wore you out so badly. Your immune system was so depleted that I ended up getting the chicken pox for a second time. I didn't even know that was possible. Whoa. So I was, I was sick for like the last three days of it. So you're, what you say, this was in 89? Did you say 89? That, yeah, that, that we did one of them in 89 and another one in 90. I went back again and did it in like 2000 with a guy named Mark Stilo a race car guy from General Motors, but uh, but it was shorter. It was so lame. We were like, why would you want to do this? It's only like six or 7,000 miles. These guys suck. It was like, <laughs> let's, let's do it in less time and more miles. That's the challenge, right? Yes. Um, 
so they still do it now. And our good friend of my, a good friend of my dad, Brock Yates, who was a famous automotive journalist and was, uh, uh, worked with my dad and a lot of television shows that they did together. Uh, they were good friends and Brock was the guy who wrote the cannonball movies and was pretty much the most famous automotive journalist in America. Right. And, uh, since we were friends with him, he drug us into this and kind of like, if you're going to be in these families, this is what you're going to go do. And we did. And, and, uh, we were lucky we didn't get arrested. Oh, so the, the chicken pox, I heard Stefan just say that too. So you got chicken yeah. pox for the second time. So 89, you're like, are you like 20, 21 years old or something there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20, somewhere in there. I, don't, I wasn't 21 yet. I knew that. Yeah. Oh. Or it was not legal to drink, but we were uh, apparently legal to speed. And you, right. And you were legal to get to chicken pox for the second time. Then. <laughs> that would have been nasty, dude. That wouldn't have yeah, been sucked. It sucks, but, but Greg, you know what it was like when we were young and we all raced motorcycles. So some, there were guys like you that we knew we were going to have a future going to Europe and racing motorcycles. For me, I was too tall and, and I was getting to be where I could compete well with you guys, but you know, that wasn't going to be my calling, but you were always going to try to figure out how to race cars essentially. And, and mm-hmm. like I was saying a minute ago, just finding a way to go do those things. And it really isn't that much different today. You know, we're not racing at Le Mans or doing anything like that, but we're still trying to do everything we can. And and uh, if it had four wheels and someone gave you an opportunity, you were going to be willing to do it. And you know, it didn't matter if you got sick or not. No kidding. So roughly then, to put it in a nutshell, you did all those miles. And how many days did that take you in total? I want to say, and, and someone can look it up and correct me, but I want to say it was 10,000 miles in eight days. <laughs> did you get some sleep or, or not yeah oh yeah you would trade off and sleep but uh uh greg knows that our good friend trinan cirillo who also was a really talented motorcycle racer he was he was he's not scared well. yeah, he's not scared he was by far the most delinquent of, of all of us growing up so uh so what was funny was when you were asleep you only you had to look over and make sure because you never knew what he would be doing if he if anyone said that he was going to be the one that was going to drive us there no you would kidding. be uh concerned of what kind of good trouble he would find and so couldn't have been a better friend to do it with because uh, I was probably the calmest of the kids growing up and he was the craziest so we were definitely definite opposites that way how true is that it was like little and large too right so you were you were probably almost like double his height and uh at that especially at that time and uh, you know so the calmest against the, the one that wasn't calm at all so you had to sleep with one eye open <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's rad, man. That oh, it sounds like that that must have been an intense period. So that was a good question, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I, Did we lose you, yeah. Cameron? Nope, we're here. Oh, okay. So I f- oh. felt like it went quiet there for a minute. Like we didn't we didn't get you. You were talking about like you just said there too. Like your your calling for racing. I, you just reminded me of something. I had to bring it up while we're here. That Andy Johnson. He's one of those guys. He, you know, today he would he would. He would always be honest and say, I never go, never went racing, you know, to go racing. I knew I wasn't made for it. But he went out and he did it, right? It was his calling. He had to try it. He went out and he did it for a few years and then got out of it and never did it again. And uh, it's just awesome because he gave it a shot. I'm just going to see what it's like and how it works. And I did it and he, he knew how to do it. And then he's gone on and done so many other things the same. And now he's like a surf Nazi, like crazy. And, you know, and later call in life again. Well, I, I guess he surfed as a kid, too. But then there was a lot of years there that he didn't surf. So, you know, the people that got that kind of instinct just to go in and give something to try for a while and then move on to, to find what their calling is, it's, it's pretty cool. 
Well, you know, the, with a lot of the the guys that gre- we grew up with around Orange County and that we all race Speedway with and against, that uh, some of them we've, you know, been able to go on and race cars in other places, you know, that we have going to get injured too badly racing motorcycles or we know that the risk is too high from a job side or a family side. But uh, guys like Sean Diulo that we grew up racing with, I was able to take him over, and we we raced in uh, in some endurance car racing series here up up in around California and around on the West Coast oh, in BMWs, and, uh, and that's pretty and recent, right? Yeah, just over the last couple of years, really. And but what's neat about it is that that for a lot of us that grew up in the speedway thing together, that we knew that if we stayed fit enough and you had a job and you could figure out how to make enough friends to figure out how to race, that we'd have those opportunities. And for as much as I don't want to be, I'm 51 years old now, so even though I'm still racing, I pretty but well rec- i recognize that that uh i'm not going to get much faster and uh it's probably time to hang it up in the next couple of years well events like these things these endurance races on the west coast you could still be an old guy and do it and enjoy it and more than anything you can enjoy it i could take a guy like an andy johnson or if you're out here on the west coast we teach you how to drive the car and you'll be you'll be a natural and we all get to do something together so it's more about doing it with your friends than do some rock star thing in a race car it's it's, but it's really about who you're hanging with, not what you're doing. Oh man, can we really do that? Oh, of course. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. That's good. This is just good. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to this one. I'm just trying to. Can you repeat that one time? I just want to record this. <laughs> I really want to. That would be so much fun. Oh my gosh, super rad. So. Besides, okay, so we've started off. We went straight into the car racing part with you. So I mean, you're the history of this, right? You, I mean, you've, you've done a lot of racing and more, would you say you're doing, excuse me, more racing now than you did in your younger years? Oh, for sure. Which is, which is kind of strange to even be able to say that. And what's weird for, but as, as kids, like I said, I knew I wasn't as quick as you guys. I could be competent, you know, I could, you know, you could, you, you, I could be in there, but there, I had no business going to Europe and going racing. Well, what's, what's funny is that in the last 10 years, I've probably gained more in terms of skill and speed and ability than I ever gained in the 20 years before trying to get to what we're doing now. So it's, it, like I said, I do see that, you know, we race in a series in Europe now called the VLN at the Nürburgring. It's the monthly series and at the Nürburgring and as part of that we race in like the six hour race and the 24 hours of Nürburgring the, probably the third biggest auto race in the world yeah, well when you mm-hmm. when we're there I'm I'm running against you know in my own in the categories in, in uh, Cup 5 or the BMW categories that we race in that I'm racing against 24 year old factory kids right that and we yeah. hold our own you're, you're not going to be as quick as some of those kids but we were able to it's surprising that our at our age i mean i guess we want to do it so bad and and the knowledge that you get builds up to where you can actually flip it over into a skill set or flip it over into lap time and so yes i'm doing more of those races i'm probably going to run i don't know maybe 10 or 15 weekends this year um, so when it's nowhere near the kind of number of, of meetings that you do, if you're having a full season, but it would be like running a speedway Grand Prix season plus three or four races, you know, Yeah, but are these all races, these 10 or 15 races, are these all overseas? 
almost all of them are now that last year I actually did a pretty good championship the uh, Blanc Payne SRO World Challenge Series uh, we did that here in America in the in the, the touring car category mm-hmm. and did pretty well won a race and, and we were very competitive right to the end and uh, but over the last couple of years we've been really trying to learn the Nürburgring you know it's the scariest track in the world biggest track in the world that I think the configuration that we race in the 24 is about 16 miles around it goes through three towns right it's by far the most difficult challenge that you could find in motor racing mm-hmm. and for years a lot of my uh, teammates and co-drivers we'd all talked about doing it and trying to pop it the toughest place in the world but for americans it's very difficult the place is very german we don't our germans not very good so we uh just trying to get entered into the races and to communicate with the teams it's it's not easy and uh but we figured it out we've gotten it's gotten to the point to where uh you know my sponsors this year basically said you know that uh why don't we just do the whole championship in europe and try to score some points over there so i mean who would have thought at 51 years old that i'd finally get this opportunity i wish i would have gotten this opportunity at 21 i probably would have been better at it but we're actually <laughs> doing pretty well we want we got a class win last year in a in a porsche last uh at, out in the fall at the tail end of the year so that was a big achievement for myself so yeah we're actually racing more and doing better now than we ever really had the opportunity to do so uh years back and that was in the Porsche you got to race them. So, you're, I mean, I see, you know, reading about you, too, more and more and, and following what you, you know, I, I watched some of your races here when you were racing with Sean. The, you're doing the BMWs and the Porsches at the same time or just riding, these are just. Complete- yeah, just, you know, we raced for the team called Sorg Rensport over there in the uh, BMW has a great car that we've kind of specialized in running called the 240IR which is a specialty, specially built race car in Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple hundred of them around the world, but when you have that many cars around the world, it's it's uh, a little bit like a Porsche 911 Cup car. It's basically, you could enter it in any race of the world. They'll have a category for you, or sometimes they even have a special category just for those cars because there's so many of them. And so we really specialized in that. But at the tail end of the year, I had a crappy end of the year in Las Vegas. We didn't have a very good finish. And, and so I kind of had to sell my oats in, you know, and it was the first time I'd ever raced a Porsche at the Nürburgring. So I was pretty nervous over it. Wow. And uh, I had a really quick teammate and, and just the two of us. And uh, in a four hour, the last race in the VLN series, uh, the way that series works over there, Greg, is it's pretty interesting that imagine if you had the most famous circuit in the world, kind of like Augusta, the famous golf course. Right. Right. And if you wanted to race in the Masters, if you even want to have a license, they make you get a special permit. Mario Andretti or Ayrton Senna came back from the grave. He would have to go do a school and pass a test just to get a license to race on that track. So everyone that does it has to put a lot of work and time into it. And they have a monthly series, the VLN, that all the factories are involved. So you show up and you think it's just a monthly race meeting, but there's Porsche and Audi and Lamborghini all with, you know, factory customer racing supported teams. So it's a pretty big deal. They get pretty big crowds. And then obviously by the time that the six hour and the 24 come around, you know, toward the summer, you know, they get 250,000 people at that race. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to get to do. 
And even though I would love to get the opportunity to do a full championship here in America, and certainly the travel would be a lot easier because mm-hmm. I've got a lot of work as well, that uh, uh, we figure it out. And uh, we're, I live in Dallas most of the time now, so I can get a nonstop from Dallas to Frankfurt pretty fast. And uh, we're over there for four or five days and, and uh, knock out the race and fly home. See, this is this is intense, right? So, I mean, everything you're saying, right? It doesn't make it like we do a lot of racing throughout the season in the speedway world. And uh, sorry, Stefan, if we're over overrunning this whole racing world, but you know, when you, we're racing in Europe, but I'm based over there, and I'm doing all my races from one place. You're traveling, you know, what, what is it from Dallas? What is it, you know? Four thousand, five thousand miles, or something. Yeah, it's about nine and a half hours there, and about ten and a half back. But uh, you know, you come back and forth to the states a lot too. It's uh, yeah, but it's, not like that. You, can, you figure it out. You yeah, figure yeah, it out. Sure. No, but that's been part of the fun of it, and then part of the kind of romance of it is to to we've made so many great friends from around the world racing there, and learned a lot about business, and learned a lot about uh, really what's inside you because it mm-hmm. is it's challenging and, and, you know, it's endurance racing. So you have teammates and sometimes you screw it up. Sometimes they screw it up and you have to live with that. And, uh, so you learn a lot about not only being a good teammate, but also being a good friend and, and how to try to maintain relationships over a long, long period of time. And the really I learned the whole team thing when I was a kid, when our, when, you know, kind of our mentors like Bruce Penhall and, you know, Bobby Schwartz and Dennis Agalas, when they were all doing uh, the, you know, Speedway Paris competitions, that was kind of the first exposure that I had, more so than Le Mans or other endurance races, mm-hmm. that that you could you could win something as an American overseas and, and really have it be special. Hey, that's pretty cool. But, you know, who, you talk about all these guys in Speedway too, that we were heroes, who's your biggest hero in cars? In car racing, do you have a one that you would you would say that's that's the man right there? Or yeah, probably Hans Stuck, the German race car driver who raced in America quite a bit, and he was right. really one of the biggest kind of meisters of the ring, uh-huh. and uh, and he runs the federation, the German Racing Federation. So uh, I don't really I don't know him. My dad knew him pretty well, but I don't know him. I shake his hand, you know, if, you know, if, if you get a chance, but. Uh, he was always crazy and it was mostly because he not only did he have the skill, but he was nice to people and, and he was funny and he was laughing when he got out of a car and laughing about what he saw out there. And he, he had a different perspective. One from a, he was, he was intense, right? He was focused, but he was able to not only have a persona, but you could tell he actually felt like that. He actually was having fun and being able to enjoy it while he was doing it. And what a concept, right? Totally. I, you know what you say, Hanstuk, and I have this forever lasting um, thing in my head that Bobby Schwartz always used to say. He'd say, Hanstuk, he never lifted. That's true. And then you say right? he's crazy. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking like, wow, that's so, it does, it is true. He used to make jokes and about it all the time. Hanstuk, he never lifted. Yeah, and what was cool, he also would talk about his poop center. He would talk about how like, <laughs> he, he feels the entire car with his butt. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, right. And so, yeah. whenever if you really start to get tired in the middle of the night, you gotta you gotta focus down, right? Oh, oh the whole nice. thing rotates around that, right? And uh, probably not that much different than riding a speedway bike, but uh, yeah, you learn a lot. But it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge with family. It's a challenge with work. And uh, I can't imagine we're going to be able to keep this up for more than a year. But uh, but we'll try to get it while we can. 
Well, dude, I, I mean, there must be a part of that growing up, like you said, as a kid and doing all the racing. It sat on your fingertips or in your spine or in your poop sensor, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> looking looking up on it now. And you, you obviously, as the more mature you get, you and you understand the racing a little bit more. I, I, I compare it to myself listening to you, and that's why I had to ask you that question. Like, you know, I raced for a lot of years, and and um, I had a I had a pretty good run, and it took me a long time to win my first championship, and then it was a really long time to win my second one, but. The amount of, I still wondered like what what the heck happened all those years in between before I, I won it again and then suddenly I had a really killer run there for years and it, it was a combination of things of maturity actually working with the kind of people that I started to work with from from the guys at Pro Drive that was helping with helping me with chassis and engine stuff and and Redline Oil and some of the the other companies the fabricators I was working with suddenly they started to to do things to the speedway bike that was different than just you're buying your speedway bike like everybody rides and going and racing like most of the guys do today they started to create a chassis and and a bike for Greg and it was like I got I remember the first time when I rode this this mock-up that we had done after we made all these changes and I sat on the thing and I went out and I did about four laps and I said to my mechanic I pulled over and I said I could win the world championship on this thing it was in 2010 and then I won the following year, eleven. Then we went. That's right. And we had fourteen and sixteen, and at like, and it was like, whoa! Suddenly, somebody built me something that I wasn't fighting against. I was riding with, and together we made this thing happen. So, talk about a team, right? It's it doesn't start. I'm reading one of your quotes that you learned from Jim Busby about the tires on the trailer are as important as the tires on the race car, and it's like. The whole team. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, I look back at yeah, kind of <laughs> the, when I was running the Redline Oil business, and when Greg, when you were right in that in that kind of range, and some of the technical discussions that we had, it was a that to do it at to to try to achieve at our age, right, and to to do the kind of things you did, you were going to have to do it from a very different perspective. And, uh, and I think we do that the same way. I learned a lot from you as you were trying to getting all the success that you got. We look at data so much more and we look at, at what the other teams are doing. And, and I think it was, it was Fangio that, you know, that kind of pointed out that the way to win a motor race was by the very least amount as possible. Like take the least risk you can take and still win. That's the way to win. And, uh, and we don't win that much, but when we do and when we run well, it's usually because we're, we're far more prepared than somebody else there. What a good feeling, huh? Yeah, yeah it's pretty fun. It's pretty, I, I never thought I would feel this way, you know, at this time in my life, especially after, after experiencing with so many from drag racing to speedway to, uh, other road racing and things where you're on the sidelines, you're a participant in it because you help on these programs, but you really do look up to people like yourself that have achieved things that really aren't possible, but you did it anyway. And, uh, and so in, at this time in our life, you know, I don't, who knows how long, much longer we'd all have the energy to do these things. So <laughs> let's, let's take a shot at it while we can. And, and obviously with, while our, our families are supportive of it. And obviously I know with you, Greg, you've had, you've had a pretty tough year. And, and, uh, as you start to look at how your career winds up and you've got the support and the health of your family to do so, 
if everything goes well for you, you know, that it's, it's one of the, uh, we, to be honest, I don't look so much at what we're doing. We look more at what you're doing. It's, uh, we're very excited for where your career is going to go. Well, you know what, dude, you guys, you've always been a big supporter. So we're, I'm going to jump back now because you've walked me right into it and we've only, we've, we've jumped straight into the racing, all the stuff you've done. So I want people to know how you and I got, how we got linked and how much more of a, you know, a, a role you've played in our, or we played with, you know, had together as a friend, as, as, uh, I don't know if we want to call it business colleagues, but more promotion and working with, um, uh, mutual companies, but we, we grew up pretty much met each other through the Speedway world as kids, pretty young punks, right? And uh, you're an Orange County guy. I was an Orange County guy. And um, we got into Junior Speedway together with a pretty unique group of kids that, you know, when I look back on it, it's like we were, we were our own little three, uh, you want to call us like the little rascals of Speedway, so to speak. And there, was, there were so many different walks of life between all of us. You and I and Trinan and the Busbys and Josh Larson and just Jesse Finch and Ryan Evans. And I mean, the toppings, Marshall Topping and Gene Topping and, and the whole. And then you got all the families, too. You know, I don't, I don't want to leave anybody out because you got the Chisholms. We were a huge group of kids that were in this thing together. And Junior Speedway was so intense. Yet we were all having such a blast at the same time. You, I mean, your dad we can, you know, we're not, we're not talking about Trinan and all the other guys because Trinan's dad was very influential in this, in the motor racing world too, right? With the Magneto business and, and, uh, Busby's with their, you know, with his Jim Busby's racing background of, of four wheels too. And then you and your, and your dad, you know, your, your dad, Steve Evans, very well known racing commentator from the past drag racing. And I, I don't want to even undersell him. So I would rather turn you loose to, to tell that. Yeah. He was, he was an interesting guy, right? Because he was primarily known for drag racing, but you know, he covered road racing and IndyCar racing and, and NASCAR and a lot of motorcycle racing. He probably enjoyed motorcycle racing more than anything. And, and so early on when he ran racetracks up and down the coast, you know, he built that, the speedway track at Irwindale when the team racing was going on in Southern California in the seventies. And that was really where we were, got more involved with speedway than not. And where my initial exposure to people like our good friend, Lance King, when he was young and just coming off of a junior bike and going onto a big bike, he was probably, Lance was probably the first person that I looked up to, to think that, wow, you could actually do something with this. I mean, I was too tall and probably not talented enough to go farther far with it, but it was, uh, it was really, it was a community of people that for us as kids, I think for a lot of us, you know, that our families were involved in the auto racing business. And my dad, you know, you know, was, I think of the same inkling, well, you can't get in a car when you're 10, but you can ride a speedway bike. And people would think about that and go, that's probably the closest thing to driving a top fuel dragster when you're a little kid is a a alcohol burning speedway bike. You'd stick a little nitro in it every once in a while. Right. Right. Uh, But with no brakes and just kind of the way, you know, that was, we were brought up to think that that wasn't really that big of a deal, not because we were privileged, but if you get caught up in what you're doing, you're never going to do it well and you're probably not going to do it safely. Right. So yeah. So the, the families that we, 
we grew up with in and around Newport and Costa Mesa and Babo Island. And, you know, while they were all having dinner as kids, we were all sliding our, our bicycles trying to figure out how to get sideways. And, and, uh, and what's, what's neat is that so many of those kids are still friends and guys like you and I, obviously you went racing and I went on to run that Redline oil business and, and we were able to pull our lives back in the same place commercially but it, I, I think you could probably safely say it wasn't about commercial stuff. It was about being friends, and it was about going racing. It wasn't, it wasn't about how you were going to promote or what your business could do for mine or the other way around. It was about trying to see you win a championship. You know what? Yeah, and everything, like you said, you were skipping ahead again. But if we go back to Cameron was CEO of Redline Oil, and you, I don't, you were with Redline from what 2003 to 2017. Is that right? Yeah, I really Roughly. started there in about 1997 and started Tim Kerrigan, who founded it. I started kind of helping building his marketing plan. Even and, that far back. and oh, yeah. And, and he, he, I wanted to race go karts, and I had no way to do it. I had no connection to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to race cars, and I was able to help Tim with his business. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, if you'll help, uh, I was running a magazine at the time called Popular Hot Rodding that I was the editor of. And Tim came to me and said, you know, hey, you know more about this business and this industry than anybody I've met and, you know, all the different facets of it. You know, you could probably run this place someday if you want to. But in the meantime, I'll get you going in go-kart racing. I'll sponsor you. I'll get you the go-karts. I'll get you the whole thing going if you'll help me with my marketing plan for my business. Yeah, that was where we got going. (laughs) And every promise that he made along the way, he kept. And uh, I'd like to say I kept mine, too. I mean, we worked together to uh to build up that business up through drag racing and we did uh nascar and a bunch of things together we did you know speedway in europe with greg hancock we did all these different projects to elevate the brand and promote the brand and bring our customers in to come see that racing was really the culture of what we were doing so uh didn't it wasn't that it was going to go with road cars or motorcycles for the street it was this that it starts with racing and it actually goes back to the street and so as we did that together it was, uh, you know, I never had the means. Some of the kids that we grew up with that were either wealthy or that their families were going to really put their resources behind the racing. Even though my family wasn't racing, my dad wasn't going to pay for me to be in a racing car. Are you kidding me? He helped me a little bit. But, uh, you know what I mean? He would try to pull some favors and things for me. But anything that I had to go do, I was going to have to go figure it out on my own. And uh, that just took a lot longer than you'd hope. But as as kids, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but as kids, we all knew that we would continue participating in this at some level. Mm-hmm. And most of us knew that you were going to get your lifelong friends out of this. And as we got perspective and we had ups and downs and, uh, you know, I, I want to say most of us are all still pretty tight. It's pretty true, right? And we might, like I said to Stefan too before we talked, like we might go through, you know, two, three, five, ten years of not really talking to each other, which has been many times right. because both of us, I'm doing that, you're doing that, and he's doing that. And but when you see each other, it's kind of like, oh man, what have you been up to? Blah, blah. And it's like nothing ever changed. It's just, it's so cool how you just kind of flow back into life <laughs> as we as we knew it, you know. Well, that was what was fun about you and I doing racing activities together is, you know, later in your career, is that it, yeah, there was it was it was com- it was comfortable, and we'd show up at a race in Europe and say, "Where do you, where do you know Greg?" I said, Are "You kidding me? I've known it since he was eight. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we're just going to come do this. We're going to come do this anyway, even if it didn't say red line oil over your shoulders. So, uh, so that part's been fun, but it's also. 
the uh, it's difficult, right? We know that with family and and now me traveling back and forth, it's been it's a challenge for our family, and and we know how much it's been a challenge for yours as well. And uh, so you kind of have to take these things on together. If you don't have the support around you and people, you know, not only just encouraging you, but literally supporting you and telling you when you screw up and telling you when to, uh, you know, how to get what it is you're looking for. Uh, you're probably not going to get that from business colleagues. You're probably going to get it from your friends. Well, that's exactly it too. Because even with the, if we stay on redline for a minute, you know, I mean, the, the amount of phone calls that I had with you, where they were in the middle of the night or trying to get the clock, you know, the right time between us when I was over there and you were here and going through, and we were measuring, you know, different engine temperatures and oil temperatures and doing things like this. And because you know, you every engine tuner around the world for Speedway or maybe all of motor racing. I had to turn to you, Cameron, because of your wealth of knowledge. So it's it's no question why you were doing what you were doing with that company and what you're doing today. But trying to convince that some engine tuners that this oil is really good, it's what we need to have, and it was a full synthetic and the power we could get out of it, but learning the, the break-in periods of the engine so that you could get the maximum capabilities of the oil and learning some tuners just said, that's not good, and you're wearing bearings out, blah, 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 and maybe they were. Maybe the materials of, that they were working with weren't good for this oil, what have you, but we had to stick with it, and I even had to, you know, I had to play games once in a while with, with the tuners to try to test the oil and see how much they, you know, they were doing to make sure that we were on the same page and say, if we blew the motor up, then okay, yeah, then obviously it was the oil, or it was this or that, but sometimes when, you know, maybe they feel safer with, with a product that they are using themselves for a lot of years. Let's stay with that product. And I'm going, I oh, mean, I want to go fast. I, I want to, you know, the more small little things that we could do all the time, I was getting these little advantages and we were making more and more power with the red line. So making that extra power, it was so many things, not to give away too many of our speed secrets here, but you know, many small streams lead to one big river, right? So you had to, we had to do all these little things and, you had to adjust the bike accordingly, whether it was ignition and carburation or gearing or tire pressures and, you know, wheelbases. It's, that's where it all had to come together and, and work to win in the race. So the combination of chassis and oil for me and all those, those endless phone calls and trying to get your tuners and your guys to everybody to be on the same page, man, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a challenge and it's a test. But, um, hey, don't you want to win? Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes you're right and you win championships. That's it. (laughs) And I got that quote from Jeff Haywood from Coast Fabrication because he learned that from Dan Gurney. And you remember him telling, saying that Dan Gurney said to him one day when they were talking about doing different things, or it was a comment that Dan said to somebody else maybe, but he, the guy saying, why are you doing this and doing that? And he goes, well, hey, don't you want to (laughs) win? And that was, that's my quote from, from that point when Jeff told me, I thought that's exactly right. Don't you want to win? Go yeah, it. and it's 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 interesting. I think it really when I worked on the magazines in the late nineties and, and you know up to about two thousand three that I had a lot of access to a lot of smart people and I was never, I was an English major, right? I wasn't an uh, engineering student or anything like that, but obviously motor racing for so long and being involved with programs, you learned how to, uh, you really picked a lot of this up and you learned how to transcribe that so that a driver or a rider could get it or, or people who weren't necessarily engine builders like yourself, but you still had to run your race business and you had to win and how to be a translator 
and but yet understand, not be full of it, and actually understand when you were providing a technical benefit or when you might be wrong or when you might be the problem. Uh, it was a really, I had a lot of really good teachers around drag racing and, and other types of motorsport, uh, both from engine side, the chassis side, aerodynamic side. Uh, really learned a lot. And so it was nice that later in my life as my jobs and my career started maturing and I got a place where I was running the business, I was able to apply that not only so that we could have success, but you also get to do it with your friends. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably the sweetest part of all of it. Still today, still I do the still same today. thing. I race with guys I want to know. Well, dude, you know they always, you know they always say surround yourself with good people, or in in, uh, in many cases, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, and that's it's been pretty good for me because I've got people like you that have not just on this business too, but you've enlightened me to a lot of things as far as promotion and marketing and and contacts and things like that, which is exactly what Stefan has done for me in, in different areas. You know, he's opened doors for me to meet different people. And, you know, networking, and, and, and I never burn a bridge. I'm always like, hey, you know, everything can be resolvable. There's no reason for a, uh, you know, a breakup. You can have a discussion or a disagreement, but it's, you know, you can draw a line over it and fix it and move on, right? So. Well, it's been interesting, too, is that the work that we've had to do, and Stefan, you'll, you'll appreciate this, that to see someone like Greg, who's developed his business really in Europe, not in America, and just to see the style at which he goes about it, the mannerisms he has taken, it's helped us develop differently. Yeah, doing business in Sweden is different than doing it in England, for sure. And people go about it differently in America as well. And, you know, that's what's nice when you run these automotive brands or that uh, where you've got distribution around the world. It's not like you're a plumber, and if you live in Costa Mesa, you're pretty much only going to get to work on the pipes of the people's just houses you could drive to, right? <laughs> Where yeah. in when you're when you're uh, in in the world that we're in in automotive or motorsports, you get to stretch all over the world. The way you do business is so is so different. I'll bet you see the the with your clients and just with what you've what you've done with Greg, you see probably how different it is a life like we have in America and the way we go about it is very different the way you all do it in Europe. Absolutely, yeah. And it's cool to see all the contacts that Greg have all over the world. It's like, I know a guy there and you can fix everything. <laughs> Sometimes. So, so. Which, 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 Greg, you'll find this interesting that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the business that I run now called Nateo or, uh, you know, Nateo products. So we've got brands like Pyroil and and uh, and Valvoline and Cyclo, and we sell them all over the world. And the brand called Ozium that we sell a lot of air freshers around the world. But what's interesting is that is that there are the folks that own our business called Highlander Partners. They own a bunch of businesses in Poland. And and when the we were at a Christmas party, and all the Polish the managers and the CEOs of the Polish businesses came over, and they came running up to me saying that they heard that I knew Greg Hancock, and it shows you how small the world is, and and how you really can draw whether it's your business resources and sponsorships and things, that if you do a good job and if you're a nice person and you're honest and you try hard and you really are a story like you've been, that the attraction to that isn't. Did, there's no national borders to this, right? You know, it's not like you're only going to get your business developed in America or only in Sweden where you've been living for so long. That people in these other countries where you participate, they like it just as well. So it's been, it's been, 
to me, you know, the world is not round, it's flat and it's easily accessible. So, uh, it's that would, I can tell you that, uh, we've learned a lot about, about seeing the way you all have worked in Europe and how we do things in the States. That's pretty cool. That's so Niteo products. It's, that's how you pronounce it. Niteo, not Niteo. Do you know what Niteo means? No. It means shine in Latin. And, uh, uh. I did not come up with that, by the way. Uh, it was there before. Uh, the business was there before I got there. But, uh, yeah, we have uh, really where that came out of is we own a brand in America. It's also sold around the world called Carbright, which is the uh, one of the biggest uh, automotive, like, professional chemicals. Like, if you went to the back of a car dealership and they were detailing a car, chances are they're using our chemicals there. We own another business called Hitech, which is based up in Detroit, and they do an amazing job with accessories and chemicals and distribution all over the world. And so a lot of what we what we make is in the appearance world, but also in the chemical world as well with uh, aerosols, you know, uh, from brake cleaners and degreasers. So we have a, a pretty big aerosol plant in Hernando, Mississippi, right near Memphis. Hmm. So we're very rare in our industry that I think we have 15 different brands that are sold in and around uh, all around the world in retail. And, and most of the product is manufactured in that factory in Mississippi. And uh, most, a lot of the time now, people are, so, yeah, yeah, I think all, every, every can of pyrrole you see, every every uh, power steering fluid bottle that we have from Valvoline, and in Valvoline, we don't, we don't own the motor oil and the, and the uh, automatic transmission fluid, things like that. Oh. We own all the chemical side of it. Okay. And all of that stuff is manufactured by us, by our employees, in our plants. So we're kind of farm to table with these products. And uh, so it's a, with a little more pride when we show up on the other side of the world and see see things that we built in other places. It's uh, like I said, we see the world as very small, not big. Dude, that's that's pretty amazing, amazing, you know. Yeah, it's really amazing when you hear it like that. So, how long have you been with Nateo now? You've been there. Is it a couple two years? Yeah, going about two and a half years, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know the Redline business. I was uh, when we sold that business to Philip sixty six. I didn't want to work for a big business. I wanted to go do other things. And when this opportunity came, it was it was something that I had to do. And uh, and and we're growing. We're doing pretty well with it. And you know we add products and brands all the time. So there's always something different going on. Uh, you know, you'll find products like ours and everything from Walmart to all the big American auto parts chains to Target and, and on Amazon and all over the place. So, uh, uh, we hope to be able to grow some of our brands like Cyclo in Europe this year. We're going to work really hard at that. And some of the travel that I'll do over there, we'll try to take advantage of that time spent. Although I'm not sure we're going to sell very much in Germany because the Germans like things that are German, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty true. We know, the, we, we know from our red line experience that the, that the Swedes, they like things that are good. They like quality. Uh, Germans, they like things that are German. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably start, we'll start our, our quest elsewhere. Uh, are you guys selling in Sweden too? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've got some sales there. We've got a lot of sales in Eastern Europe. 
And uh, but as you know, it's very difficult with the the regulations for for shipping products around the world uh, like we do. Some countries are a little bit easier than others, and with uh, a lot of the legislation in uh, in in Europe, sometimes it's easier to build stuff in Europe and right. and uh, and ship name. it over. But we still give a good old college try of selling our stuff over there. Oh, that's cool. That was my next question: is would would that be a consideration to do like that? But you answered that. <laughs> <laughs> so would you would you say that that you learn a lot from the racing experience that you can bring to the to the work or with that you're leading big you know companies? What, yeah, yeah, I think you do, but the there's a couple things that you take away from the racing thing that you don't work it too hard. You know, racing is about fixing variables. And if you've got, you know, the tires and the way that the car or the motorcycle handles and the engine and the rider or the driver, we try to get all those things fixed so that maybe it's just the tire that's the variable or maybe this track surface is the variable and we have everything else perfect. Uh, we find that with a lot of products that uh, that you don't need to try too hard at it, you know, do the right things, have the right ingredients you know, have the right pressure in the cans, have all that stuff right, and and try to be more flexible for a lot of the different jobs. Uh, so in in motor racing, it's it's uh, uh, there's a lot of very specialized things, but the markets are very very small, so it's harder to participate in that. Uh, but the one thing that we probably learned the most about. Uh, What, that people appreciate performance and they appreciate things that actually work. And I think they learn a lot about that from motor racing. Uh, that, you know, if you put something out that doesn't work, you might sell a few, but you're not going to sell a lot. That's cool. Yeah, that's true. That's the quality right there. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I mean, as a, as a person, when you drive the car and you need, or you need to fix the car to be the best all the time, you need the right things, you need the right people around you. Could you take that knowledge and thing that you do to be the best as yeah, I a think leader? Or do you, yeah. So what you probably learned the most about that, you, you hit it on the head, is about people, right? That we're not racing cars, we're racing people. And, mm -hmm. and we're bringing people there and the team around us, you hear it like cliches, but it's that the strength of the employees and the strength of, of uh, people that know something different than you do And people who are smarter than you are, don't be afraid to hire people that are smarter. That a lot of those things that we've seen, how that works in motor racing and how deep some of the teams and how deep some of the knowledge is, some of the mechanics that could just as well be the engineer of that car, but that's not what they were hired to do. Sometimes you need that depth to be successful in motor racing. And that flexibility is very similar to what we have in business where, you know, uh, you could have a plant manager and, uh, and he could be taking that on, but he can, he could do the purchasing just as well as he do the plant. So when you have that opportunity over there, you can slide them over and they can take care of that. In motor racing, you see that quite a bit that the skill sets, not only are they typically flexible, they need to be because you never know when you may have to step in and perform that or where you may have a gap. Man, that's that's wild, man. That's, that's, dude, this this podcast alone, just to get the to get the knowledge uh, from you, everything you're saying here for me is like an education, as it always is. And I mean, I remember talking to you about distribution when we had Troy Lee too. Like Cameron, your your knowledge of so many things is is, is amazing. Mark. Oh, we lost somebody there. 
<laughs> I think we lost Cameron. We have to try to reconnect him here. Hold on a sec, guys. <laughs> we lost Cameron on our on our phone call here. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, she just went away. <laughs> so it went black here. <laughs> oh, that's cool. We'll get it there. There we go. Are we there? I think we're back. Yeah, we lost you guys here for a minute. Oh, yeah. Were they you still there again, Stefan? Yes. Now I'm here again. That's cool. Technology. Isn't it awesome? It's perfect. It's, it's really pretty unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it is that we can be doing this. So, you know, I'm sitting here in Southern California. Stefan's sitting over in Nortelia, Sweden. And Cameron, you're up in your place in Idaho right now, right? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, that's something that, that's fun about all the things that, that we get to do is that, uh, like you say, that your little iPhone will take you a long way and, and give you a smile that would be otherwise be a whole lot of air miles to try to go and achieve so <laughs> it's so hard to get everybody together in one place these days too you know and especially when we're so far away from each other all the time but uh yeah hey thank you <laughs> thank you apple <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> there's a plug <laughs> yeah but just but it's interesting that you were asking about the things in motor racing you know motor racing is done in person you know there's not a whole lot of work you're going to do by remote to make to be successful at it and uh that's one thing that everybody tries to rely on emails and occasional phone calls sometimes you got to go see people sometimes you got to go know them and yeah. uh and that's it not, not the only way you're going to do business but it's also how you're going to build relationships so that's what's uh it's it's hard to find the time to go do it, but uh, over the years, you know, whether it's going to a Supercross or trying to go to a Grand Prix, if you happen to be anywhere near that country that Greg might be in, you really try to make a point of going because life's short. You never know when you may not have that opportunity, but but more than that, there's uh, for as great as technology is, there's nothing beats the opportunity to hang in person. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a good yeah. point. And even, like you said there, meeting wherever we can, you and I and Andy Johnson had the chance to meet up at Goodwood out of all places, right, for a, for a quick rundown and uh, hang out there for, for a day or something, right? And then I had to bolt off, but it was uh, it was so cool. Wherever we can, we catch up in the most un, un amazing places, unreal, and, um, you know, I'm stoked to call this guy my friend, you know? So, Greg, hang on. You don't get to walk away from that too quickly. Sometimes... We get to ask you a couple of questions. Well, I remember being at Goodwood and and watching you race a speedway bike up the Goodwood hill climb, which had never been done before, and I can't imagine it's been done since. And and seeing you up on the big screen, and seeing all these famous motorcycle racers and Formula One drivers and and uh, Felipe Massa and all these people going over to just touch Greg Hancock. And what what was that? What was that experience? like I mean we were all there together and we pushed your bike up to the line and all that but uh, when you think about where 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 you know where Speedway is but when it sometimes gets to bridge other worlds like that what was that we never got to talk much about that after that no you're right you know and that that whole period will go down in history as one of the most cool things I've got to do too you know and to be there first of all with with two of my lifelong buddies you and Andy in and in such a prestigious event you know Goodwood is huge and you have, I mean, there's no reason to go to an auto show or go chase around to find some of your heroes and somewhere in parts of the world because you get a little bit of everything at Goodwood. And, I, you know, I standing there getting ready to put my helmet on to go take my ride down before I went up the hill and John Surtees came up next to me and introduced himself with one of the monster guys too. And I was just going like, whoa, 
what people will give to be in this position, right? And then riding down and, and waiting up at the starting line before I take off to go up the hill and Casey Stoner walks up and says, you know, he's got his helmet on and, and lifts up his visors. How you going, mate? And, and what's going on? And start having a chat with, you know, such a legendary MotoGP star. And uh, and then John McGinnis pulls up alongside of you, too. And suddenly I'm having this three-way conversation with John McGinnis and Casey Stoner. And just, oh, I got it, Greg. They're calling me. I have to jump on my bike and go. How hard was that? I got to put my helmet on and leave these guys that are like just absolute legends. I just want to sit there and talk for days. <laughs> and then I got to go bust a speedway bike up the hill and do a few burnouts and a few wheelies. And, and uh, man, that, you know. Like you said, Cameron, that's for me is it's, uh, you know, you can't even call that a bucket list. That's just something that it's incredible to think that I ever got that opportunity. And um, I'm stoked you guys got to share that with me. Yeah, it's fun. But you know, it's, it's, it's interesting about, I guess, about life, right? That you try to say yes as often as you can. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and you try to bring our families, everybody along with us to try to enjoy it. We don't always get to, and we got other th- more important things in life, but, but yeah. uh, it makes you feel pretty fortunate about the things you got to say yes for. And, uh, and the things you t- get to take advantage of at the time. Right. And, uh, totally. you know, if you're, you're a world champion, you get some pretty cool invites. You don't say no, dude. Dude. I even had, <laughs> I had, I even had one foot in the unicorn there with uh, Ken block. I was on the way to go take the last run down with him for the day. And then, uh, I literally got canceled in that, that last second because there was an accident on the course and they had to clean it up and that was going to screw up their whole time frame. So his whole deal got canceled for that afternoon. So I didn't get to ride in the unicorn with him. That was just like, that would have just been icing on the cake. Well, I think you had to leave and go uh, run a race meeting in Poland. Yeah. And Andy and I put on our monkey suits and we went to the black tie <laughs> ball and, and uh, we felt totally out of place. And we, but we got to kind of like, you know, we poke our finger at a bunch of people. Oh my God, look, there's so-and-so, you know, famous motor racing people. We saw a surreal solo stage performance by Gene Simmons from Kiss. That was weird. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was a it was a surreal night, but uh, hopefully we'll get to do some more stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, and and it's been it's been, obviously it's been a pleasure to come on here and do this do this podcast with you guys and get to catch up a little bit. And uh, I, we, I appreciate the invite and just being being part of your life and and hopefully get to go hang with you guys in Sweden here before before too much time goes runs out. Absolutely, and look, and hopefully we're going to be seeing you in Poland uh, a little bit this year too, right? So you're making a trip over later in the year. So we'll, uh, one way or the other, we're going to catch up with you in Europe someplace, sometime. And uh, we have to say thank you to you too, man. And I, I really appreciate you just taking this kind of time because you're a busy man and you're you're running, you know, you're you're running this big company too and doing your race. And so time is an essence. So thank you very much. Gosh, yeah, thank you both. And, and uh, yeah, I hopefully we're going to see you in Poland and we'll get to get a photo of all the <laughs> things that we've done and the kind of motor racing and just, you know, amazing travel that we've gotten to experience. I've still never seen a Speedway meeting. I mean, I've been to a couple of Grand Prix, but I've never been to a league match uh, anywhere in Europe. And all my, I have so many friends that raced in all these different teams and, and lived in all these places. And I just never got to go on any of those trips. So we're going to be racing at the, uh, in the, at the six hour, uh, the qualifying race for the Nürburgring 24 hour. And then, 
uh, and then in a uh, in one of those VLN races. So there's like four or five days in between. So I don't care what it takes. I'm going to go. I'm going to get on a plane and go to some town in Poland I've never been to, and get in a rental car and figure out how to do it. <laughs> awesome. That's that's the only way to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where you're physically going to get there, I'm told. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, uh, no, it should be a blast. So, uh, again, thanks. Congrats congrats on the podcast, and uh, uh, we'll all talk soon. You're a legend, Thank you man. so much. Thanks again, Cameron. You have a great day, man. Give our best to your wife, your lovely wife, Andrea, there, and Thurston Howell the third, your wonderful little animal. Yep, he's been patient. He wants to go outside, and it was just got sunny. So uh, beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho is, is calling. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of warm too. It's thirty five degrees out. We're we'll gonna have to that's short sleeve weather around here. Dude, so yeah, put, uh, your, put your shorts on and your boots. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, thanks again, guys. <laughs> Take it easy, Cameron. See you soon, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that's it, everybody. That was Cameron yep. Evans. What did you think of him, Stefan? Such a cool guy. He has a lot of things that he's done in his, what was it, 51 years? 51 years old. Yeah. Amazing what he can do in such a short time. Dude, you, you started off with a great question there. That was awesome. You basically sent it off. And, I, you know, we've only kind of scratched the surface of what he's actually done. We could have talked for hours, as you can hear. He's, and the amount of stories, but the knowledge, the experience, the... The racing history. He's done so much. So that was a good question. Yeah. How do you think that we can get into Halstavik this summer for the GP? Well, you know what? It all depends. Probably, probably the best way to look at it is it depends <laughs> on his racing program <laughs> more than his work. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> if he's got a race on this similar to that time, there's a better chance to get him there than getting him to come otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> So, uh, but he's a great guy, man. He's, he's a, like I said, he is a really smart dude and he has a little talk about contacts. A lot of the contacts I've got are thanks to him. And, uh, like I said, I, I've, I've utilized him for so many different pieces of advice or I had a question. And even with our, our Troy Lee business we had there for distribution and learning some different ways that we were doing business with Europeans and what have you. And, he really, really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I still call him today for help and advice. So, uh, yeah, to have friends like him, like you, with Andy and all the people around, man, it's it's good to have a network. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's such a cool thing that we can do this podcast together and just get one or two hours with them and just scratch on the on the surface, as you said, yeah. on the life you had. I mean, it's. And just meet all the guys that you grown up with or met uh, under the under your career. It's it's amazing. It's cool. I think we've all got something somewhere, you know. And I've I'm just happy that I've got uh, people like this because it's uh, maybe it's not interesting for everybody to listen to. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you if you're into racing and you're into four wheels or two wheels, four wheels is his thing for sure. But he's very, very well up on the two-wheel thing, too. So you can't be fooled whatsoever. He's a very knowledgeable dude. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. Absolutely. I mean, even if you don't are into to racing, there are people that have done these crazy things in their lives and get so much experience and contacts. And, I mean... Uh, 
can you say someone else that made this race to all America in kind of days? And yeah. no, I don't know. No, I, f- yeah. I always forget about that, that one lap of America. You don't hear about it as much, but to hear the way he told the story too, right? Can you imagine that, being 21 years old? So in Trinan, our friend who did that, Trinan's my age, so he was only 19 when he did it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 19. 19, so that was... And 21, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. It's really cool. So he, Cameron was also quoted in, in, um, in one of his letters that he got from his, his father who told him one, one thing. He said, the only reason we race cars is because it's illegal to fist fight. <laughs> so that's how Cameron lives his life. No, he's not a fighter anyway, but he's a racer. He's a racer, yeah. Oh, good time, right? It was absolutely it was, well, and uh, yeah. it's nice to be back again. It's, As we always say, but when when we actually do this, it's it's so much fun. It's really fun, and as we talked earlier, we've got a couple of more people coming up, and a couple more four wheel people that I've been uh, associated with here over the recent months, or recent weeks, I should say, that uh, are. Uh, these wouldn't be. They're still fairly young people in the in the car car division. There's a, there's a female girl by the name of Shay Holbrook who races cars. She raced on the Formula W series over in Europe, and another guy um, Ken Fukuda who's been racing vehicles all over the all over the world. Cars here, racing in Europe. He's a he's a coach. He's been in the Peace Court. He's done all sorts of stuff. So. We've got lots of really fun people that are going to be on the uh, on the podcast here in the future, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. That's right, and of course, there's going to be a lot of speedway action, so watch out. Wait till Steph, yeah. Wait till we, we're going to have that one podcast just to talk about Stefan's new role in the speedway world, but let's not say too much. Nope. We take that another time. Yeah. As it took me a long time to, to mature and get into the Speedway thing really going well, it's the same for you, Stefan. It took you a long time to get into the Speedway thing, but boy, you're really getting into it now. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. <laughs> All the kind of... It's... Uh, I don't know what to say, but it's going to be fun. It sure will. So we'll leave it like yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> for now. For now. And until, yeah. the, until the next time, my friend, it was great talking to you and great talking on a podcast again. So, yeah, same to you, man. And uh, hope we'll do this sooner than last time. We will. Yeah. Famous last words. <laughs> Famous last words. So, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Real 45 Podcast. Follow us. Check us out. Like us. Comment, quote, send us questions. And uh, peace and love, everybody. See you, Steph. Bye. See ya. Ciao. Ciao.